and then a second one died. So now they're just focusing everything on the one remaining and, you know, everything they could think of, everything they knew, call the vet, everything. And after a little while, the third one died too. And the lady of the house, after they had put so much of themselves into trying to save these three little lambs, she told me something I have never forgotten. And she said it in that kind of tone of voice where she's just so frustrated, even verging on depression. She said, lambs are born looking for a place to die. Lambs apparently are not brought into this world with a strong will to live. It's like they come out and they're like, huh? What? Oh, please. Okay, let's see. Where can I go into a corner to die? It's like they, they don't seem to want, they don't have much encouragement of heart. They don't seem to have a strong heart to want to like explore. And, Whoa, what's this world outside the womb? They're like, oh my goodness, this is so different from, you know, I was inside and I was in the dark and I was in the wetness and I was in the great heat, you know, 98.6 on the inside. You know, that, that's normal to a baby, right? You get the baby on the outside. We don't birth babies into delivery rooms that are 98.6. We got the AC running. Right? So the kid comes out, light, air, you know, and coolness, you know. So let me translate what, this, what the next thing happens. When the baby goes, ah, it means put me back. <laughs> That's what it means in every language, every country you go to. That's the reaction from babies getting out of the womb. Ah, I don't like this. This is not what I've been used to for the last nine months. I've been used to everything being dark and wet. I haven't had to focus any eyes. Now I'm going, what in the world? My eyes are blind. I'm squinting, you know, I'm hearing all these noises, you know, and it just all this is startling the baby. When, oh, Christendom, we have made this mistake and we keep making this mistake. If we have an altar call and people come forward, and this person on this end is a 12-year-old girl. Great. And the one next to this is a 21. And then here's a 35. And over here is a 42. And over here might even be a, a retiree in their 70s. And we look at this line of people who are coming forward to pray a prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not against this. This is a great thing. Just like the day of getting the news that you now have a new baby born in the world. Great. We should celebrate. These people have come to Jesus. They've opened their hearts. They received him. It's a beginning. We need to quit using our natural eyes and our natural reasoning, looking at these, this range of people from 12 to retiree and saying to ourselves, they are grown-ups. No, they're not. They're lambs. And lambs, like human babies, are very weak and very helpless. And those of us who made it past lambhood, we're no longer lambs. We need to start looking at the new lambs as they come along and say, now, Lord, what do you want me to do to help make sure this one keeps going and growing? So the first of the three times Peter's responding back to Jesus, Jesus is talking about taking care of the lambs. So you don't start out as sheep, you start out as lambs. Everybody starts out ignorant in the Lord. You barely know enough to just get saved. You don't, you need a lot of attention. You need a lot of help. And if by the grace of God, you've made it out of lambhood and you're now up to the level of being at least a sheep, we need to turn around and look at the lambs and say, now, what can I do for them? And when we 
fail to do that. I mean, I, it's by the grace of God that my wife kept going, able to keep going with Jesus. 20 years ago, April 1st, 1998. So this last April 1st, that was what, three weeks ago? Okay, she celebrated her 20th spiritual birthday. That's when she got baptized in Jesus. Now, her physical age was like 27 at the time, okay? So they're like, oh, yeah, congratulations, shake your hand. And it's like they left her. I mean, it's by the grace of God she kept going with Jesus because she was a lamb that needed tending. She needed help. She needed discipling. She needed a big brother, big sister, someone come along and pay attention to her. Help her. Help her get in the word. Help her go on with the Lord. Okay? And the churches in China have made the same mistake we've made in America, made all over the world. We just congratulate. Oh, great. Someone became a lamb. Great. And we turn around and walk off and leave them. Lambs rarely by themselves can prosper. Billy Graham just died. He nearly made it to 100. Great ministry. I'm not here to critique or criticize him, but I'm telling you a story I learned when I was in college and I got a little bit involved with one of the campus ministries called Navigators. Navigators are into discipling. So they set up between the two semesters. It was wintertime. It was going to be a January Bible conference slash ski trip. Their headquarters is in Colorado Springs. So we had two days, once everybody got up there, two days of Bible conference, all day, the morning and evening. And then we had three days that the charter buses would show up, take us off to Breckenridge, and we would ski all day and all. There's a painting of Dawson Trotman over one of the major fireplaces, the founder of the Navigators. And the people who are running the, the place will tell you the story that Billy Graham came to Dawson Trotman, not once, not twice, three times, because the first two times Dawson turned him down. Billy had become aware, thinking for a while, wow, we're doing such great things for the Lord, all these crusades and bringing hundreds, if not thousands of people to Jesus. Somewhere along the line, they started doing some checking. How are, how are these new converts doing? Are they going on with the Lord? Are they becoming part of vital local churches? Are they growing in the Lord, etc.? And you know what Billy Graham found out? See that finger right there? You know what that stands for? One percent. One percent of all his supposed converts were going on with the Lord. So he came to Dawson Trotman begging him, we have got to coordinate your kind of ministry with my kind. We have got to have people doing follow-up. If no one's following up on these lambs, guess what? Lambs are born looking for a place to die. They don't have a real strong will to go on with the Lord. They may make a one-time decision at a one-time meeting where there was a flow of emotion that seemed like the right thing to do, so they came forward, they prayed a prayer, and then we just shook their hand and hugged their neck and we kind of left them. Take care of my lambs. If you love Jesus, he said, take care of my lambs. Now, the difference between a lamb and a sheep is maturity. Well, how do you get a lamb to become a sheep? You feed them. You feed them. You got to feed them. And I hope you came to church today hungry. And I don't just mean for the Malaysian love letter cookies. I mean, you can eat those as much as you want, okay? But when you come to church every time, when you come to Sunday school, when you come to a men's meeting, a ladies' meeting, a youth meeting, whatever, do you come with a hunger 
to get something from the Lord, to learn something, to be open, to be ready to read. In other words, why should the learning stop? There is so much the Lord has for us, there's no reason for learning to stop. We should come hungry and ready because we're saying if I eat more, I have a greater chance of going on to maturity, more maturity. I will leave behind lamb status and I will become a good, healthy, fat sheep. I mean, when it comes to sheep, it's good when they're fat, okay? Okay? So, you know, let's, let's, let's be ready. And that means what? Two things. Someone's got to be coming up here ready to teach. And the other people sitting there need to become ready to listen and learn. I have served in Grenada several times. One particular church, St. George's Baptist Church, received me three different occasions. Each time was three nights in a row, three hours a night of seminar for leaders. I'd have 20, 25 people plus a couple of pastors on sitting on the front row. And on my third occasion, my third night, we had finished our last break. I'm about to get into my last hour, hour and a half. Now, if you've ever been up here, if you've ever been the one responsible, you've probably experienced what I'm about to describe. In spite of all your preparation and praying and notes and this and that, sometimes while you're right here, just suddenly something is bubbling up inside you. You never thought of it before, never came to you before, but it's like something the Lord wants you to say, and He wants you to say it right now. So uh, that's what happened to me. I said to him, okay, now before we finish our material, finish this seminar this week and everything, and I leave tomorrow... I sense right now that the Lord is prompting me about something, that He wants me to make a confession. Now, when you're a respected church leader and you say you're about to make a confession, you can hear a pin hit the floor. Everybody, oh my word. You know, you can just kind of sense what's going on in their minds. They're not moving a muscle. All right. I can, I can tell their little wheels are turning like, what has Brother Douglas been doing? You know, he's about to confess. So ha- has he been secretly getting drunk? Has he been chasing women? Has he been, you know, uh, watching porno? What, what is it he's about to confess? And they're like, oh, my word. You know, like, this is going to get really tense here. And I went on to say, you know, uh, the Lord is showing me I have a problem And uh, he's telling me tonight that if I don't confess this, it's not going to get any better. So I think this is the time and place. I need to make a confession. Here's my problem. And my problem is really kind of embarrassing because, I mean, you all know, I teach the Bible. So, I mean, I'm supposed to know the Bible. And I mean, I think I know the Bible pretty well. And I still read and study it all the time. But, okay, here's my problem. I'm having trouble finding a verse. Now, the moment I said I'm having trouble finding a verse in the Bible... You, you should have seen them. It was like letting the air out of a tire. Oh, okay. His problem is not some big sin. He's just having trouble finding a verse. So now they're like, get up on the edge of their chair. I mean, everybody, they're like, you know, okay, well, how can we help you? You know, and I said, you know something? Um, there's so many servants of the Lord. They know this verse. They're, they can quote this verse. I can quote the verse. I've got it memorized. Um... And, and these servants, these other servants, they're, all, they're re- frequently obeying this verse. I'm just having trouble 
locating the reference. So maybe if I quote it to you now, maybe after this is finished, one of you can come up and show me. Please help me out. Find I've, I just, I've got to find this. This is kind of embarrassing, you know. So, I mean, everybody's looking at me with such expectation. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, tell us. We want to know. What's the verse? Well, you know, I say, here's what the verse says. And you shall receive style when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. She didn't wait half a second. They waited two heartbeats. I mean, it was two heartbeats of silence. You shall receive style when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And two heartbeats later, they all died laughing. You were very quick. Because they suddenly all realized everything Douglas just said the last couple of minutes is a joke. There is no verse that says you shall whoo, receive style when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. I mean, the pastor in the front row right over there, he laughed so hard I thought he was going to fall out of his chair. You know what was going on? It's the Mary Poppins principle of a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. In other words, if, you, if the Lord gives you some truth and he gives you some humor to blend it with, truth by itself can be like castor oil. doesn't taste real good. Yeah, but you need it and it'll make you better if you swallow it. But you get a spoonful of sugar and it'll help you be willing to swallow the medicine. So, you know, when they finally, about 30 seconds, I had to wait for them to calm down. It took 30 seconds. They're just dying laughing because this is what's going on in the Caribbean. People get in the pulpits and, whoo, you know, they're suddenly full of style. So this, you know, jumping and leaping and all full of drama and everything like that. And then I, here's what I added. I said, can you imagine what would happen after the Sunday service? The pastor and his wife go home. They sit at their own table to have lunch. And the pastor continues to talk to his wife at the table the same way he was talking Sunday morning in the pulpit. What would that sound like? Sister, would you pass me the butter? And they roared again. And I said, you know, the wife would tell her husband, honey, you can turn it off now. We're home. Oh, yeah, right. I'm sorry. Yeah, please pass the butter. I tell you this to say there's a lot of places in Christendom, a lot of places. And when I go to Belize, this will now make nation number 35 for me. So frankly, I'm not going to be too surprised if I find this going on there too. Okay. Pastors know they got to get up here regularly every Sunday, maybe every Wednesday night. They, you know, that's, they're supposed to. They got to come here with something, right? If you're lazy, if you're a lazy pastor, because you see, to really teach, you got to spend time with the Lord. To have a real message, you got to spend time with the source of the message. You have to, I mean, you can't, you've got to repent of laziness. And I've had my share of laziness in my life. And I've hopefully had a certain measure of repentance too. And that's where I get stuff from by repenting of, and spend time in his word, spend time with it. And he gives me stuff and people go, look, I like to cook. Anybody else like to cook? Okay. Now, anybody who raised their hand, would you also say that your friends would call you a chef? Are you a chef? Like a, a, I mean, a Paris chef. So most of us who, no, we, we're, we're simple cooks, right? Okay, so we're not chefs. We don't turn out the most exotic dishes. But you know, so if you come eat my food, well, you'll do what my wife do. You'll gain weight. When I met her, she was 42 kilos. That's uh, 88 pounds. Now she's 110 kilos. Uh, sorry, 50 kilos, 110 pounds. 
I've now learned the Chinese word for gravy, jiang jiang. Okay, she's found out about gravy. Okay, I serve her gravy. So she eats jiang jiang, likes it, you know, and now she's gaining weight. <laughs> okay, I don't fix fancy. I learned some things from my mom. My mom doesn't fix fancy. But, you, but you'll prosper. You'll, you'll get full and you'll, you'll prosper. You'll do okay if you eat plain old. So I don't claim to be the greatest Bible teacher in the world, but I do teach. I don't know who is the greatest Bible. Well, Jesus is the greatest. After him, I don't know who's considered the greatest. It's not important to me. But I've got to tell pastors. I've got to teach pastors. Pastors, if you want your lambs to become sheep, you've got to feed them. You have to actually teach. And to teach means you've got to do something when no one's around, no one's watching you. Hmm? Hello. My pastor friend who went to heaven a year ago in September, I just broke my heart. He was only 69. That's too young, Lord. Why didn't you leave him here longer? I saw him July before he left this world. Pastor Serbakti. When I met him in 94, he was over 80 churches. A few years later, he was not what you call a political animal. He was not trying to rise in the hierarchy. But the leadership above him said, we've got to have more help from someone like you and they put a zero after the 89 was over 800 churches and a few years later before he left this world he was part of a council in Indonesia put another zero he was with that council over 8,000 churches people like that can open doors for people like me now he's gone to heaven so I saw him in July before he left the next September He said in his experience, the number one feature about pastors, all the pastors he's dealt with across all those years, there's one word that describes them more than anything else. I'll tell you the word in Indonesian, but I'll bet you'll figure it out in English. Rutinitas. Care to guess what that translates to? Uh, Routine. Close. You're close. Rutinitas is, you know, oh, look, it's Sunday. Oh, look, get the tie. Boop, put the tie on. Mount the stairs and get to the vault. Grab the mic and say, Pujila Tuhan. That was a long way of saying praise the Lord. You can just say praise the Lord. You can go, praise the Lord. They can do that in Indonesian too. Sounds more spiritual if you drag it out and add extra syllables, right? Pujila Tuhan. Oh, come on. Give me a break. If you want to say praise the Lord, just say praise the Lord. I mean, you don't have to add all the, you know, we don't need the style. There is no verse that says, you shall receive style when the Holy Ghost... Folks, this is the way I talk. This is it. I'm in front of, I don't know, 20, 30 people today. Uh, if I'm with one person, this is how I talk. When I, sometimes they get me in the pulpit and I look out, my word, there's hundreds, maybe more than a thousand. Sometimes that happens. But this is the way I talk to that side. There's only one Douglas. There's not two Douglases. And I draw on the whiteboard so often the diamond. You know the diamond? This? And then the S. And I ask them, what's this? I can go to the remote areas, jungle areas of Indonesia, draw the diamond, put the S, and say, Apa any, what's this? And they know, Superman! Everybody knows. They know the symbol. And then I say, but you know, he's not really one guy, he's really sort of two guys. And I write beside that, Clark Kent. Well, Clark Kent wears glasses. I wear glasses. Clark Kent wears normal clothes. I wear normal clothes. 
you know. Clark Kent has a normal tone of voice. Clark Kent gets places by walking or driving. But now, oh no, there's an emergency. The meteor is heading for Earth. Who is going to save us? Well, now we need Superman. So what, what does he do? You, you rip this open and here's the red S, right? Is he the guy they say he's the only man we know is a hero for wearing his underwear on the outside of his pants or something? <laughs> red underwear. You ever think about it that way? Anyway, okay. So there he is in his red underwear, you know, ready. To, does Superman need his glasses? Oh, of course not. So the glasses come off, right? And does Superman talk with a normal tone of voice? He has a very deep commanding voice, right? Yeah. And he flies off into space without even a spacesuit. The parent doesn't even need to breathe. And bashes the meteor and knocks it to pieces and comes back and all earth is saved and all like that. But now the emergency is solved, so what does he do? He's got to cover up the S, right? Got to go back to talking normal. Got to find the glasses, Right? to pretend now he's a, quote, normal person like Clark Kent. How many pastors in this world, Monday through Saturday, you meet them anywhere, they're like Clark Kent. They look normal, sound. Sunday morning, into a nearby pulpit, and out comes Super Pastor. And he leaps and he screams and he rips off his tie and he does all these things and you're kind of going... And you, know, and you know what they want to say? Oh, please, I'm telling you, I caution people about this. I say, you know, they, well, Brother Douglas, that's the anointing. Let me get this straight. Do you think Jesus was anointed? Did he do a lot of jumping and screaming? You know, I'd be very careful about possibly insulting the Holy Spirit. I got introduced to speak at a church in Mexico one time, and the guy decided to do it in two languages, English and Spanish. So I really knew what he was saying about me before I got up there. And he told the church... This man you're going to hear from tonight, he doesn't do a lot of jumping and screaming. And I looked out at the audience after he said this, and I could see the shock on their faces. What? We're not going to see the American version of jumping and screaming in the pulpit? No, you're going to hear Scripture. You're going to hear the Word of God. You're going to hear a lesson for your minds, not for your emotion, because that's how we come into maturity. You don't come into maturity by whipping up your emotions. Emotions are part of what happened earlier while we were in the presence of the Lord. We praised Him, and He inhabits our praises. So it's like He wrapped His arms around it, and it feels wonderful. Nothing wrong with that. But then, when it's time for this, the emotions got to come down so the mind can go up. So we're ready to learn something. We've got pastors around the world who think they're doing their job by getting up here and jumping and screaming. And no one's learning anything. And guess what? The church, many churches, are so immature. They're not leaving behind lambhood. They're not going on to becoming sheep because they're not being fed. One time in Guyana, and it might work out, I don't know yet about Ruth going with me to Guyana. They have now become open to Chinese citizens to get to come to Guyana without a lot of trouble, without getting a lot of extra visas and everything. So we'll see. That might happen in July. So I'm in Guyana having my daily quiet time and I run across a verse. And I mean, this verse like, whoa, this really got my attention. I started teaching from it immediately. I've been teaching from it many times since. So I got in front of this group of pastors in Guyana. I said, hey, let me tell you something. You guys know about Jeremiah? I mean, you sort of know his story. They're kind of, yeah, yeah. 
You know, he lived at a really tough time. I mean, there was, he was one of the few good guys. There were a lot of bad guys, false prophets. He was a good guy. He knew the Lord. And uh, the Lord was not happy with the shepherds of Israel. So he gave Jeremiah a message. He gave him a prediction. He said, I will raise up for you shepherds after my own heart. He wasn't talking about shepherds with bad, bad sheep. He meant spiritual shepherds, okay? I will raise up for you shepherds after my own heart. So then I asked the pastors, how many of you shepherds here have a heart for the Lord? They all know the right answer. So, of course, everybody, oh, oh yeah, that's me, sure, of course. And then I said, have you guys noticed that so far I haven't told you where to find that verse? You want to know why? I didn't want you looking it up yet. Because, frankly, you haven't heard me complete the verse. I've quoted you part of it. It's found at Jeremiah 3.15. It's a pretty easy reference to remember, 3.15, like when you used to get out of school. Okay? Jeremiah 3.15, the Lord says, I will raise up for you shepherds after my own heart, comma, who will feed the people on knowledge and understanding, period. Would you like to know if any shepherd has a heart for the Lord? You don't ask the shepherd. You interview his people. So let's say I pretend I'm a, a journalist waiting outside the door of any meeting place for a church. And the service is done. And they come out and I stick a microphone in their face, you know. Hello, were you in church today? Uh, yeah, yeah, service just finished. Okay. And was it a good service? Yeah, uh, yeah, it was wonderful. Okay, good. So tell me, what did you learn today? And what's the reaction? Huh? What do you mean, what did I learn today? Well, you said you were in church, right? Yeah. You have a pastor? Yeah. And so uh, a shepherd who has a heart for the Lord will feed the people on knowledge and understanding. So what knowledge and what understanding did you grow into? What did you learn? Uh, it's got to be one of two reasons. Either we've got pastors who are not fulfilling their role. They're not teaching. They should be. They've got to repent of laziness. Or you've got people coming to church, and the only thing they come to church for is good feelings. So they love the singing and praise, and they love their pastor to jump and hoop and holler because that keeps the emotion rolling. But they didn't come to learn anything. We're supposed to leave lambhood behind and become sheep. That happens through feeding. That happens through teaching. That's got to happen. So I may not be the best cook in the world. I may not be the best Bible teacher in the world. But usually when people go past me after either eating my meals or hearing something from the pulpit, and they'll say, wow, I I got something today. And they sang it with this tone like, oh, how unusual. Today I came to church and I learned something like it's the exception. It's supposed to be the rule, not the exception. Well, I know it's late. I'm preaching like I'm overseas. Or we just forget the clock and say, look, it's still the 22nd. What's the problem? You know. (sighs) The reason I told you that little detail that this conversation takes place, like they had breakfast here. Now they start walking. The first thing they're going to go past, in other words, the first of the three times, Peter, do you love me? The first one's different from the second and third. Only the first one is drawing a comparison. More than these. Do you love me more than these? Now, when people think you're all sitting around the campfire instead of walking along, 
people have interpreted Jesus saying to Peter, Peter, look, there's six other guys sitting here. Do you love me more than these other six guys love me? They, they thought that's what he meant. I'm here to tell you, I don't really think that's what he meant. All right. I mean, is anybody here besides me, you got experience maintaining your car? Do you know most every car has under the hood something called a dip stick? You know what a dip stick is for? Check your engine oil, right? So you find that ring under the hood. Yeah, there it is. You, you pull it out, wipe this off, stick it back in, hold it a moment, pull it back out, and now you can read your oil is full, you're half a quart low, you're a full quart low, or the thing is bone dry and your engine's in danger of burning up, telling you better get some oil in there quick, right? Okay, cars, motors, they have dipsticks. Does my heart and Jackie's heart have a dipstick? Can you compare how much he loves Jesus with how much I love you, how much Ruth, how much Peggy? Like, well, Jackie, let me check here. Let me. Oh, gee, you're a quart low on the love of God. You can't check hearts for how much love they have in it for the Lord. Hello. So it wouldn't make sense to me for Jesus to say to Peter, Peter, do you love me more than these other six guys? I mean, after all, Peter, you denied me three times, and I forgave you. You know, you took two or three steps on the water, but then you sank. You know, you open your mouth and stuck in your foot more times than I can count. But I'm still putting up with you. So, you know, Peter, you kind of owe me. See, he didn't do that, did he? He just said, Peter, do you, do you love me? Do you love me more than thee? Here's what I think he's saying. He is de- making a gesture. What is the gesture towards? Peter, do you love me more than these? What's he, what's he jet? Well, they're walking past the boat. They're walking past the nets, the baskets, the ropes the tools of a fisherman. Peter, do you love me more than you love the fishing profession? Now that is something most everybody can kind of answer pretty honestly. That's something measurable. And Peter, well, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, good. So, you know, if you love me, I got something for you. Got something I want you to do. Would you help, you know, take care of my lambs, feed my sheep three times. Peter seemed to get the message because if you now turn the page, you get to the book of Acts. And you read the entire book of Acts. Where is a single instance Peter ever went fishing again? I can't find it. He gave it up. Why did he give it up? Did Jesus demand to give it up? Not really. Jesus just sort of gave him an invitation. Oh, you do love me? Well, gee, if you love me, you know something? i got something for you. I got something I want you to do for me because you love me. Would you? You know, I'm going to have some lambs. I'm going to have some sheep, and they need feeding. They need help. Would you do that for me? I used to play so much chess. The Lord showed me at one point chess had become my God, literally. I mean, it just consumed my life. And, uh, I gave it up. I don't give it up. I didn't give it up resenting anything. It's just that because my relationship with the Lord Jesus was getting now closer and closer, it's like I didn't understand how and where chess would be terribly important for the rest of my life. Why do I need to keep playing chess? I mean, why do I need to keep going to... I used to go to tournaments. I even... I even won a couple. Okay? Okay? But it's like, you know, the Lord showed me the number one problem with chess is the position of your head. You're, you're staring down here at the chessboard. And the Lord's going, Doug, hold on, Lord, hold on. I've got to figure this out, you know. 
Your head's aimed the wrong way. Your, your ears are not open to him. I used to play ping pong. The number three player in all of Thailand was a student at East Texas State when I was in high school there. He was training those college folks. Those college folks were t- training me and my high school buds. I mean, we were learning the Olympic version of how to play ping pong. We were not doing this bonk, 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 okay? Most of you, when you say you play, that's what you give it a pat, you go bonk, bonk, bonk. Okay, no, no. We were doing this, whoa! Yeah, we, we were learning the real stuff, okay? Back then, I mean, we're talking 1973, I was buying a ping pong paddle that cost $25. You know what that must cost today? Because it was that special kind of paddle with that special kind of two-sided rubber and everything. I mean, it was, this is what the pros are using. Well, then I better get one because that was so important to my heart. You know, if there's a ping pong table around there, I can pick a paddle and, you know, knock it around with some focus. But it's like my heart is not in love with it anymore. My heart is much more in love with the one who loves my soul, the one who saved me. The one who then later said, hey, Douglas, do you, do you love me? Yeah, yeah, okay, well, good. Yeah, you know, listen, um, I, I want you to go to Indonesia. Huh? What? But you know, after you get over the shock of it, you're just like, I guess I can trust him about that. Because he loves me. And I love him. So he'll watch out for me. It's okay. It's, it, I don't come to you, I don't mount the stage as if somehow I'm, I don't know, some kind of hero figure. Jesus is my hero figure. Jesus is the one who did everything for me. Jesus is the one who could put pressure on me and refuses to do it. He loves me instead. And he loves on me. And because of that, next Friday I leave for country number 35 not fully knowing what's awaiting me, not knowing what it'll be like, but knowing that as I've gone to 34 other places in the world, I'm okay. He took care of us, you know. I'm not saying there aren't hardships. I'm not saying there are times you don't get food poisoning or whatever. I mean, there's, there's, yeah, there's a few horror stories along the way, but the bottom line still is I didn't die. The Lord took care of me. I'm okay. I recovered. I'm here. I'm still here. I nearly left the world two years ago. If this little thing in my chest wasn't put in there, I'd already be in my reward. My heart rate got down to 27 beats a minute. Put in a pacemaker and those two digits reversed. Now they're 72 beats a minute. I felt a lot better. A lot better. And I had one word going through my head in the following days. Everywhere I drove. Mercy. The Lord had shown me his great, great mercy. So, okay, Lord, whatever else you want me to do, wherever else you want me to go, whatever kind of message you want me to give, even if sometimes it's like, you know, a spoonful of sugar with the medicine going down, there's a lot of conviction. Sometimes the messages God gives you to give are powerful with conviction because there's some stuff that needs correction, some wrong stuff going on out there. And you can't just turn a blind eye. You got to speak. You don't know how they'll react. You don't know if they'll welcome you back. But you got to be faithful. Say it. 
When you're having your own friendship times with one another, please don't just think it's unimportant chit-chat. could very well be that one of you is ahead of the other. You know what I'm saying? One of you is more of a sheep and the other one might be more of a lamb. So take seriously your conversations. Take seriously what you say to one another because you're probably ahead of some and behind some others. And if you're ahead of some, then be responsible. Speak what the Lord wants you to speak into the life of other Christians around you. Give them the truth. Love them. Speaking the truth in love. It's a Bible phrase from Ephesians 4. Do speak the truth and do do it in love. But don't separate the two. Don't just have truth by itself because that can be kind of harsh. Don't have love by itself. It just becomes gooey. You know, full of mush. There's no substance. There's no way for the other person receiving all that love but no truth to make progress. We all need to be making progress. I may have told you this before. I can't recall, but I'll mention it. It's a wonderful brother waiting for you in the, in, in the presence of the Lord. His name is Virgil. And when I met him, he was already quite up in years. I'm in the 70s or 80s. I'm not sure what age when he left. I still have memories. There were times the pastor at that church gave me a few sessions to preach as a substitute for him. He'd be gone. And there was Virgil right there, always front row, Virgil. And I'd hear him after I'd say certain things, he'd quietly, amen, amen. You know, I mean, it's that kind of person is real encouraging, you know, when you're up here and you hear someone go like, amen. <laughs> and I mean, when the, he was with an AG church and in the Tulsa area. And I mean, when the doors of that church opened, Virgil, there, there was Virgil right there. I mean, every time, any activity, any event, there was Virgil. And then one Sunday morning, everybody's there except, where's Virgil? Is he on a trip? Nobody knew. Is he sick? Nobody knew. So after church, some of the men in the church went out to his place. He was a widower. He had a pickup truck. It was out in front. He didn't have any other cars, just a, widow, just a pickup truck. So if the truck's there, he's got to be here. Knocked on the door, rang the bell. Virgil! Brother, where are you? No response. Nobody came to the door. They start searching around the perimeter of the house, checking windows. Finally found one window unlocked. Shoved it open. Some guy climbed in. He's starting from the back of the house, working his way to the front. Virgil, brother, where are you? What's going on? You know, he got to the front room, living room. Found Virgil, well, found his body in his favorite sitting chair. The Lord had taken him home on Saturday night. Virgil's last testimony to you and me. Do you know what they realized Virgil had been doing when the Lord called him home? He wasn't just sitting in his chair and he wasn't watching TV. He was in his chair with his Bible open in his lap. His testimony at the very last was, And now, Lord, what else would you like to tell me? What else do you want to teach me? What else do you want to show? He stayed hungry to the very last. I don't know about you. I, I could stand to have a testimony like that be my last one. I would like people to find me thus engaged. You know, that would be really fantastic. Wow, Douglas stayed hungry right up to the end. That was Virgil. And in the middle of his reading the word, the Lord called him home. I just love that. Lambs, 
sheep, shepherds. The Lamb of God took our place. And he is now fulfilling his shepherd role in the earth. And if we love him, like Peter said, he loved him. Then we've got to care about what Jesus cares about. Please, care about his lambs. Do your part. Speak what the Lord wants you to speak. Help those lambs grow. Help them go on with the Lord. Help every brother and sister become a mature sheep. And see yourself, even if you're not the official shepherd here, see yourself with a shepherd's heart because you got the shepherd, the good shepherd, the chief shepherd living in your heart. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for what you're saying. You have been so kind, so merciful to us. You could have laid pressure on us. You could have told us time and again we owed you. You just, you keep refusing to do that. I so appreciate how kind and gentle you are with us. Help us check ourselves so that we are likewise with one another. Help us have eyes that are not so dependent on natural things. So we will look at the new Christian as a babe, as a lamb that needs help. Show us our part, what to do for the lambs. So they won't stay lambs. They won't stay weak. They won't stay small. They will grow. They will become healthy sheep of your flock. Thank you, Lord, for loving us so, so much. And through your love, just inviting us to work alongside you to help take care of your sheep. We give you all the praise. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen.